Welcome to the ATI Talking Water Quality Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lyle King, water specialist and business manager at CM Industrial. And as always, I'm joined by Gary Tabor, Executive Director of ATI UK. Welcome, Gary. Nice to be here, Lyle. Today, we're speaking with Stuart Husband, Water Research Fellow at the uh, University of Sheffield. What's on the agenda for today, Gary? Well, Stuart's very passionate about uh, the business that he's in. He's also an academic, so today we, get, we have a great opportunity to get an academic's view. And Stuart's worked with the water industry for many, many years. He does a programme called Pods, and that's very, very popular for water companies. And he does a lot of work on researching about biofilms in pipe and how that affects the distribution and therefore the water quality. Now, Stuart, being an academic, he's, he hasn't got a commercial view towards this. And so he's very much of the the mind that we should know how big the problem is before we can fix it. So he will be promoting and does quite quite confidently, as you'll see, doing a health check, putting it in first, putting water quality sensors in throughout distribution, establishing what the problem is, and then addressing it. Perfect. Well, without further ado, let's uh, make a start. Welcome everybody. We're joined by Stuart Husband, Research Fellow of Drinking Water Quality at the University of Sheffield, along with Gary Tabor, Executive Director of ATI. Uh, to begin with, how are we all? How is everyone? I'm good. I'm good. We can't see each other, so I suppose <laughs> I'll go first, Stuart. Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you very much, Lyle. Thank you for asking. Great to be here. Yep, I'm very excited to be talking about water quality and, and monitoring it, certainly in distribution and drinking water. Perfect. So the uh, main topic of today's podcast is data confidence and the smart steps to monitoring water quality. Uh, now, I think obviously one of the first points that we should uh, always raise is sort of everyone's origins and everyone's backgrounds. Um, let's give our listeners and our audience uh, a little bit of an insight into what everyone does and, and what their sort of day-to-days are. So, Stuart, I suppose just to, to kick things off, obviously you're a research fellow at the University of Sheffield, but can you just give us a quick insight and uh, intro into the work that you do and research that you are centered around? Yeah, certainly. I've been very lucky to be able to research and purely research drinking water quality and distribution systems throughout the UK. So I have the support of all, all companies within the UK and internationally. Um, and it's it's been a fantastic, exciting period where we are really moving to understanding what is in our drinking water. So we're moving away from a purely quantitative question, as in making sure people get water, but really driving forward, understanding well, actually what is in our water, what's happening to it as it's transported through thousands of miles in underground pipes and assets, huge assets. Um, a lot of them are very old now, a lot of Victorian assets. And so this water quality we get out of our tap can be massively different from what is treated by these, by these companies. Um, and understanding this behavior and these changes, has, it's been a fantastic challenge and it's, it's great. And it's, really exciting where we are going now the current situation so I'm, I'm very lucky to be able to research this and work within this, this you know amazing industry definitely yeah no it sounds uh, sounds like a really interesting um research topic and one that i can imagine that is at the forefront and one that sort of talks about more and more uh, but just i suppose to, to send it over to you gary obviously you're one of our co-hosts now and We've been uh, interacting more and more frequently. But again, just for our listeners, could you give us a, an introduction to yourself and, and your background? Yes, yeah, certainly, Lars. Thanks. Um, yeah, well, I was a co-founder of ATI UK back in 1997. And uh, it's been fantastic. I've enjoyed 
the opportunity to build a business in the UK water industry and like Stuart with all the UK water companies uh, and build, you know, earn their trust uh, in processing water quality within water treatment works. And then sort of saw an exciting change in things about eight, eight or nine years ago when people started talking about, as Stuart said, moving you know, water quality into distribution through this thousands of miles of network, this old network, and, and make, making sure that we could actually keep an eye on what was going on. So it's been a, a new journey of transitioning what was historical water quality and treatment works into this new area of digitalization of the of the, uh, the distribution system into what we call smart water and how that evolves. So yeah, that's about it. Great stuff. So um, as we sort of mentioned at the very beginning then of the recording, the main theme of today's podcast is the smart steps that we can all take to monitoring water quality. So I think a, a good starting point for today's podcast is understanding what water quality is and a bit of a snapshot about what can be done in and around water quality. So I suppose to, to for a question for you, Stuart, then is what is water quality and, and how can we better monitor, you know, the quality of our drinking water? Right. Um, <laughs> a very open question, that one there. Um, that's a, a nice, a nice leading. Now, what we've come to realize is that these huge human engineered, so anthropogenic engineered systems are, are actually living systems. They are hugely complex ecosystems. Um, so there's a, a massive amount of physical, chemical and biological reactions going on, on in there. Um, now, the conditions in these environments, because it's, it is a hugely biologically driven process within these pipes and these walls, um, it adapts to the conditions that we, we, we put them under. So the physical conditions are critical. Likewise, the chemicals, how we treat the water, what's in the water, um, will impact this microbial community that exists. Now, when we have changes in these networks, and these changes are likely to occur all the time, we've got temperature changes throughout the year, we have demand changes and we have different water issues. Um, and COVID is a classic example of that, how that's changed where people work and where, where they're staying now, home working. So where the demands, where the flows go has massive impact on these communities. Um, and when we make these changes, this is often seen. Um, and the first thing consumers see will be the aesthetic properties. So basically discoloration. If the water is discolored, and this can easily occur if the flow increases and it, it sort of mobilizes this material that grows. So when we see discoloration, that is um, the aesthetic property, but behind it, there's lots of other potential more concerns. So we might look at the metals in there. We might have opportunistic pathogens living in the system. Um, these are all going on. So it really impacts the quality of the water we receive as consumers, as customers. Now, what is really fascinating, and we've done lots of work looking at this, is that this overall behavior is quite consistent. We can predict the overall behavior. We increase the flow. We can predict the responses on the whole. Um, and this is transforming the way water companies now operate. But this has to be done in conjunction with being able to measure it and record what's happening. And it has been the advent of the monitors. And it's only been the last decade that these monitors are now for monitoring water quality, for example, turbidity monitors, have been available that we can put out in the network and measure these changes. And we can really tie these changes in now to how we operate these systems. So this is the huge changes. And we're finding that we don't need to spend millions of pounds 
renewing systems and taking pipes out to clean them, which has huge problems, we can actually manage most of these, this large behavior through simple hydraulic steps on condition we, un we can view and understand we have the data to see what's going on. So this has been the transformation. We've been able to get monitors into the network and actually measure the responses. Now, I, I should add, of course, just monitoring water quality is only one aspect. We really, this has to be tied in with understanding the flow regimes within these networks as well. So it's about bringing together these different components. So we have the flow, which has been recorded for a long time. So we get that data and we need to bring that together with this water quality data. And when we have these two bits coming together, then we can start going looking at these smart networks and we can start understanding exactly what's happening. And then we can start managing it and making it the best, the optimum system available to us all, which then supplies the best quality water. We lose less water. We can make the systems, the assets last a lot longer. So there's benefits all around. So just to jump in, Stuart, and sorry for interrupting, but what would you say then are the main benefits of water quality monitors across a distribution system? I think it will be the ability to predict the behavior and manage the behavior so we do not get uncontrolled events or create problems beyond, you know, beyond our control. The management can take place from, from systems, computer systems. We don't need the people on the ground all the time looking at it. We can, we can see it from afar and we can create these systems and we, can, and we can measure them. Now, using the monitors, if they're put out correctly, we can also detect when systems are deteriorating so we can be proactive in our management. And I think that's the expression that we're all looking to be. Instead of waiting, historically being reactive, there's been an incident goes on. A lot of people complain. We get dirty water. And we send loads, we, and the companies will send loads of people out to try and fix it. Now that by, is by no means the best approach. And prevention is, is a by far better approach. And by putting these monitors out, we can understand how this is performing. We can be alerted to potential problems. And also, if we do then go and make changes, we can maybe invest in our capital or invest in clean the networks, we can then also have evidence to show the benefits, what's been going on. So we can actually secure, demonstrate the benefits, which will help inform us again going into the future. And then to, I suppose, to flip this to you, Gary, obviously it's always interesting getting different perspectives from the value chain, you know, we've obviously got Stuart's opinion here when it's coming from a, uh, very much from a, a research perspective and then yourself in more in the, in the middle of the supply chain. What do you see as some of the main challenges when it comes to rolling out a water quality monitoring solution across a given distribution network? Yeah, uh, it, it, well, it's, it's complex. I mean, first of all, you have to start with the, the actual sensors themselves. If you're going to build any smart system, you've got to collect data. And, and quite frankly, if we're going to, if we're going to have a, a truly smart system in the future, working on AI and machine learning that everybody talks about, you're going to have to put a lot of sensors out there. So the first challenge is getting them out there. You've, you're moving technology from what is historically mains-based in the works into sort of fairly remote locations. So... Power consumption, that's the first thing. The first challenge for any technology business like ourselves making sense is getting the power consumption down whilst retaining all the accuracies and repeatabilities that you need to make sure the data can be assured. Um, and then you've got to get that data out. 
it's not hardwired. It's not on an analogs. It's all digital. So you've got to be using the latest RTU technology to get the information out. Do you get it out to a cloud? And then from a cloud, you can then monitor everything. So that's, that's the first challenge. The second challenge is knowing your place in the market. Now, our place is quite clearly in water quality sensors. That's what we make. We've got history of making those, and we've, you know, we've built a reputation up. But we have to work with other technology suppliers. So our product is integrated into a complete holistic system. Stuart talked about knowing flow. Flow is a critical factor when you have to put everything together. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. If you don't have all the pieces, you're not going to see all the jigsaw puzzle. So we have to be working with suppliers of flow products, acoustic products, um, transient measurements of pressure, bringing it all together into one unified cloud. So on its own, yes, you can have water quality and it can give you a certain amount of information. But if you want to move your business towards a truly proactive business that's acting all the time and ahead of what's going on, the way Stuart was talking about, you've got to be collaborating with other supply chain providers. So yeah, those are the challenges. And, and that's the exciting thing at the moment because the market is very excited. And I should add on top of that, what you can do, you can say, well, the next part of it is to put all the AI and machine learning on. You've got to do all that at the top end. You've got to make sense of all that data. You're going to have too much data. How do you then put it into a way that people can understand it and act upon it? So those are the challenges. They're exciting ones. So I think uh, we can go into the AI, uh, Gary, in, a, in, a, in another episode. And, and, and for listeners uh, tuning into this podcast, then do stay tuned for a podcast where we do go into a bit more detail on AI and its uh, potential impacts. Mm -hmm. um, but to circle it back to the sort of networks then and, and the amount of monitors and the amount of sensors and the amount of instruments needed, what is the sort of optimum amount of monitors and instruments that, that might be needed? And I guess that that is a, that's a very, again, open-ended question and very subjective because no network's the same and you've got different parameters for each, but what is the optimum level and, and how do you understand what optimum is? Well, that, again, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. It's one that Stuart and I have actually spent some time talking about before. Um, and there's no, there's, there's no perfect fit. It's, it's, but you have to work back before that and say, well, how do you approach it? You need to know how big your problem is first. And one of the things that Stuart's group does, does very well, is going in and doing something called a health check. And Stuart can talk about this. It's, this, is, this is Stuart's approach. It's, it fits well, I think, with the way that most water companies want to proceed with smart water. So most water companies will know they've got a problem. They'll, they'll have an idea of where the problem is, but they've got no idea of the extent of the problem out and how to sort it out. So you would apply an amount of monitoring solution in there and you put it in as a health check to have a look. You need to go and have a look. Uh, and you put it in and it'd probably be something like a lift and shift. So it's, it's not expensive assets that you're putting in for a long period of time. You're putting in portable product that can be moved around time and time again to help you build this picture up of just what's going on in your network. And from there, you can act upon what you've got. And then you can rehabilitate, you can actually clean mains, you can actually do all the restorative work that you need to do. And at the end of it, you then would be looking at a much smaller installation set just to keep an eye on it. I was talking to a client only this week that did a great deal of work back in 2017 and actually cleaned the whole system up. Fantastic. But they took everything out. 
<laughs> and what's happened now is to go back and what Stuart said, this is a living thing. Biologically, it's all back again. So they have to revisit it. So the bit they missed was that last bit at the end, which is to keep something in place just to keep an eye on it, to let them know. But I let Stuart talk about that because it's a, an approach that Stuart uses, and I think he uses it very well. Yeah, I would certainly add, I mean, the first question is, the number of monitors, it's actually why you put them out there. What is the challenge that companies, what do they want to find out? I can go back. All of our work historically developed what was known as the POTS project, which was a dis prediction of discoloration and distribution systems. And through the support of companies throughout the UK, what we've clearly shown is that if you manage flow increases, you can manage the amount of material mobilized. So you can manage discoloration risk. Um, and this is a long-term strategy. And we have lots of tools now. So this was a real key value of actually putting monitors out. Now, if, if you want to do this for a length of pipe or main, the, the minimum amount of monitors you need are two. You put one at the outlet where the response is and one at the inlet to make sure nothing's coming in. So two is a, if you're just checking a, a pipe or even a reservoir, one at the inlet, one at the outlet. That gives you the information. Now, going forwards, of course, we might want to track things as it, as it moves through networks. So you might want to put more monitors out. But the challenge is really clearly here actually to define what it is that you want to find out. What are the questions and what, what are the answers you want? If you make changes to a, a treatment process, we need monitors before either we can either leave them out there or, as Gary says, what we're, we like the idea, we like the concept now of, of actually going out the networks and understanding the baseline performance. Because then if you then go back and review you could, has it changed? Has there been deterioration? Is this an indication? But at the moment, this is all very early days in this work. The monitors are very exciting and we want to put them out, but it's still that we still have these research questions to actually answer where are the true value, where are the benefits? Um, a lot of problems at the moment are companies almost feel obliged to put mon actually put monitors everywhere throughout the network. Now, as a researcher, that's fantastic. It's brilliant. I love it. Please, yeah, go right ahead. You do that. <laughs> so do we. Yeah, there's huge amounts of data. But the problem is, it's, it's often the infrastructure around it is the ability to collect all this data, bring it together. Do we have the analysis, the AI, whatever, the machine learning codes to break it down? Have we committed people to understanding, look at this data? Because there is a lot involved. When you have to bring the flow data, the water quality data, and maybe the chemistry data, you have to bring all these components together to get the real answers, what's going on in the network. You can't just have the one, say, um, chlorine levels or stability. That's only a snapshot. We need the other, everything bringing together. Now, this is where we are at the moment. This is the, on this journey we're at. We're, we are now starting to realize this. So at this stage, I'm very much supportive, actually limiting, not using a large amount of monitors, but being very focused and very clear on what you want to achieve with them and making sure they're installed correctly and you're analyzing the data properly. Now, yeah, God bless. Let's put monitors throughout the network. Love it. But, and then we can look at that data, make a great challenge and say, well, actually, we put 40 monitors out. We could have done this job in 30 or 20 or maybe 10. We don't, we don't actually really know the answers yet. Um, so we are in this voyage of discovery. Uh, so it is, it is hugely exciting. Lots of questions, lots of challenges. Um, we have the equipment. We also need to realize that these monitors are scientific instruments. And this is a big step that a lot of companies have failed to appreciate. They believe they can just put these monitors out, often in remote, remote locations. And it can be very damp and dirty and who's to say where they are and poor communications with them. 
And yet we expect these monitors to behave at a hugely fantastic accuracy for months and months. Now, that is still very unrealistic, and we need to actually start to reevaluate how we put these monitors out, how long we leave them out for, and making sure we confirm, we, we assure the that, that data quality that's coming back. Um, these are scientific instruments. They're not like historic pressure monitors, which you could just throw out, give them out, and you'd get the data back. So we actually start to almost need to go back to square one and say, right, we need to set up a system. We need to commit to doing this properly. We need to make sure we have all the right data streams coming together so we can then analyze it correctly. And we've got people doing that so we can actually get the real value out of this. Um, a big problem I see at the moment is a lot of people putting monitors out and then they struggle with the amount of data coming in and then the data quality falls off um, and you end up you know, not feeling you've got value, a loss of value. And we need to reevaluate that. And I think almost start out, focus what we want, what we're trying to achieve and ensure that we can do this properly. And once we have that under control, we can then expand it out and we can make these fantastic digital systems that are on the horizon, but we are still just at the beginning of this. So do you see then in your line of work, Stuart, it's lack of data quality over lack of data? Yes, very much so. I have, I've got, I'm working with PhD students and we've got, we can get loads of data, but when we start to narrow it down and analyze it, the actual value of it is very limited. Uh, in most cases, because we maybe don't have the flow data to go with it, but also because they've just been put out in the network and maybe they've been put in wrong locations. Um, they've not been checked properly. Um, and then there are communications issues. Um, we are having huge problems actually with the data quality. The analysis, we have all the tools to do analysis. We have the expertise and the quality to, to interpret what the data tells us if we have good faith in the data. And time and time again, we are coming back to question the data. Now, I should point out as well, I may be being a bit, bit harsh in some ways because I'm trying to look at the accuracy, the levels of accuracy, really fine. I'm really bringing the accuracy down. Um, earlier projects where we're looking at events, the data is fantastic. You put monitor out and you can monitor events so you can see significant changes in values. That's great. That's really, you know, and that's been fantastic. And that's, you know, say, transformed how we manage these networks through the pods project. But we are now coming to this next stage. Where we say, well, actually, we want these fine absolute values, real accurate values that we can go back to time and time again. And the changes we're looking at are very, you know, are tiny. They are very, very small, but these could be the indicative. These are the things we're looking for. And it's just understanding this, this, this accuracy level we can achieve and, and achieve, achieve consistently, repeatedly. That is the real challenge at the moment. The instruments are cap capable, but can we do it within our, the way that the systems are set up? So the question there, then, I was going to say, Stuart, so it's the question there, not, not the performance of the sensors, but it's, but it's the client understanding. You, you made a big emphasis on, you know, these are, these are you know, they're, they're, they're fine scientific pieces of equipment. You know, they are. They're, they're, they're fully robust but, and they're reproducible. But it's, it's the client having, having the right expectation, to, first of all, and, and the knowledge of where to cite them properly to get the best data because my own experience is that the data is quite reproducible and it can be relatively accurate the, the things that hold it back are it's located in the wrong place as you say so we're, you know we're, we're going on that journey of understanding where's the pinch points yeah. 
where the where the ideal locations and where are the bad locations. And that does take experience of understanding and customers' perceptions. You know, they, they just want to put them in and they want to figure, fit and forget them. It's the way we operate nowadays in the world, don't we? We buy a car, we don't expect it to have any maintenance. And we put these this scientific equipment, as you say, and we expect it to work for, for 24 months and never have to maintain it. And that's not the case. We know that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's about investing in dedicated monitoring points that are fit for purpose. Because at the moment, we're just putting monitors on, on things like hydrants or other locations because they're convenient and they're available. So it is, it is this approach we now need to think about why we want the monitors there, where is the optimal location. And at the moment, a lot of these are compromises. We put them in locations that are a compromise because we have a fitting or an attachment somewhere. And it, it's certainly not ideal. So going forward, yes, we do need to, we need to consider what are the ideal monitoring locations and create the environment that allows them to collect the data accurately and repeat, you know, to do it properly. Um, and, and this is that change. That we've got to change the mindset that if we're going to monitor water quality, we want the right data, then we have to commit to doing it properly. But isn't but isn't one of the big challenges that you know water quality has always been the ownership of water quality? With that sounds cliched, but it, you know that's a that's a works thing. Distribution's distribution, and we we need to migrate that that level of responsibility about the water quality, not just from, you know from source right the way through to tap. It needs to go right away across the silos. And, and you know, again, the client I spoke to this week, it's the first time ever, first time ever in the UK water company, I was told, oh, they just appointed a water quality manager for distribution. And that was really, I thought that, that that's a forward thinking company now. They're actually breaking the silos down and go, no, 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 we do need to know about water quality in distribution. And they've actually appointed someone to do that, which I think is a great step forward. It's where we're going. And the point you raised there is the, the holistic approach. We now have the ability to track the water completely through the system. And, and that shows huge insights. And we can very quickly pick out deterioration. I mean, monitoring around reservoirs. We've got service reservoirs now. If we monitor the inlet and outlet, very quickly, we can actually say, look at the data. Is it the reservoirs at fault or is it somewhere upstream? Where historically, we, we only monitored the reservoir outlet. We, we couldn't pinpoint where problems were. We could say, well, there's an issue. But where is it? That's an ideal point. Yeah, my experience would say that, um, you know, picking ideal places, inlets and outlets, large service reservoirs, servicing yeah. large volumes of people is a, is a key area, a key area. Yeah. And it impacts quite, quite heavily on water companies in terms of their, you know, their CRI um, and, and potential fines as well. And there's immediate benefits from that. We can look at very quickly you detect where you might be seeing deterioration in your networks. So, that, I mean, that's one fantastic benefit. You know, we can see straight away. To, to jump in then, you both mentioned that sort of optimum locations are fairly critical when it comes to good data. Is that something that is a common theme, you know, regardless of, of, of region and, and water company themselves or is that something that can change, you know, so can location of one distribution network vary to, to another, or is it that, you know, you've got quite a common theme and it's quite a common solution to it. <laughs> Every network is totally unique. Every system you go to has its own patterns, its own behavior. And it's amazing. The differences, the globe, these are the large, large scale responses, such as the mobilization material we can predict and that they are consistent across networks. But each network still has its own peculiarities and every company is how they deal with it. Um, 
Yes. So it, it is. It, there isn't one solution, and people go for this one. This one solution for everything. It does not exist. Um, the networks are living, living systems. And as soon as you appreciate they're a living system, you can then start to think about well, where might be the best place to monitor it, um, um, and how often do we need to monitor it, um, and is it a particularly large strategic location? Should we then think maybe about putting a permanent monitor in place? Because I think a lot of these times these what we've been working with are these mobile units, which are fantastic, and they should be used in that mobile capacity, move them around. But from, from this work, as we go forward, we'll say, actually, well, this is an ideal location for a permanent monitor. We should put this in. That gives us that you know, consistent tracking. So that there's no one-fit solution. And I would, each network is different, unique in its own way. So is it then that each network has to be optimized and you almost have to adopt a mobile solution before implementing a a permanent solution very much so for my yeah my, my my experience is very much so you if you approach it from the very beginning that you're going to put everything permanently it's hit and miss as Stuart said finding the right place you know this this health check idea and I use that phrase of using lift and shift to put them in and where you think to start with and move them around and optimize optimize everything and then you can see better you can actually strategic you can have a strategy of where you want to put things. As I said, we're on the beginning of this journey. We need to start. And I, I, my concerns are, my fears are, we put in, in many ways, we are putting too many out. This is counterintuitive as a researcher. Yes, as I said, I want loads out. But as an engineer trying to optimise and make it before we go forward properly, I'm much more in favour of small numbers. We can appreciate the value. We learn about the benefits. And then we roll that out. We can move that out further into the system and think about the longer term plans. At this stage, there are lots of benefits, lots of you know, value to be gained and lessons to be learned. Um, and and we, we're taking those first steps. Yeah, I'd repeat that. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd endorse that. I mean, certainly, you know, I, Stuart, obviously from a research point of view, but me from a commercial point of view, as a business, obviously, we're a business that makes profit. Well, that's what we're here to do. Um, and uh, we want people to buy product. But there is a danger that if we oversell it and oversell capabilities and expectations from the word go, that the thing can fail very quickly. And so you, you build, you take small steps. You have to take small steps. And I've learned that lesson quite painfully. People can get very disillusioned very, very quickly. You need to go, you need to go back and pull back that, that enthusiasm to sort of race off and put tons of these things in and say, no, look, just build properly, build properly and build with confidence. And as you build with confidence, then the, the whole thing comes together quite quickly then. And people will buy lots of products and they'll put lots out there and you will build a truly smart system. But to think that anyone was going to go out and spend 10, 15 million pounds tomorrow and just smack their fingers and it all works is, is really overstating how this thing works. We're on the, small steps, yeah. build confidence, build your system, have a strategy, feedback all the time and just keep building them from there and that's the way i'd do it i, I would add at this point of course that you, we have to appreciate that in the uk at the moment we are by far and away leading in this understanding this water quality and driving it forwards in many i mean the level of research and the understanding now it's going on um i think far exceeds anything else we've seen across the world certainly in research circles or it's what we're doing so we don't have anyone we can really look to to say well what's the what's the best examples we are actually pioneering that path so again it's exactly as, as gary says there it is a case i think it's we need to be wary of trying to do too much too fast these small steps learn it 
and share it because we have a what also is fantastic UK. We have a really good community of the companies. We do talk, we do share this information. Um, and again, I, I refer to the, the Pods project, which now is what fourteen water companies meeting regularly, sharing their findings, and that has what has been the strongest benefit we've seen in all this work. Um, sharing these lessons, we, we all have slightly different lessons, but we come together, we share them. Um, this collaborative approach um, has really endorsed this work. And then to, I suppose to follow on from that, you mentioned there that uh, there's steps that have maybe been taken a little bit too quickly. So, you know, there's almost that there's the common theme that you are running before you can walk, so to speak. Yeah. Does that pressure come from water companies being tasked with rolling out a water quality strategy? Mm-hmm. And let's say that there's maybe pressures from regulations and the regulatory boards. Or is that coming from lack of education from the water companies themselves? I think water companies, by and large, react to where the pain is. That's the first thing. I think that water companies also uh, are guilty. That's a dangerous thing to say. uh, Of being very siloed in the way they manage their businesses. They don't communicate enough within their own companies. And that's just structure. That's corporate structure, the way they work. Um, I don't think the water companies are pushing it quite as hard now. They know where the they know where the pain is, and they're focusing on it. And if anything, they're very reluctant to move very fast. As, as uh, Stuart said, we're, we're pioneering still. We're waiting for successes, and the more successes we get, the more case studies we get, yeah. that will give people confidence. And that is the right way to approach it: yeah. open communication, confidence, but don't push things too fast. And again, it's it's counterintuitive to me. I'm a business person. I want to run fast. I, you know, I, I believe, you know, in our little sector of water quality, we've got the product. It's field proven. It works. I want to run fast. But until the whole industry raises itself up to the same level of confidence, you know, we're hamstrung. You know, that's the way it is. You're only as strong as the weakest link, as they say. I would, I would add to that. These systems have operated fine with their drinking water for 200 years without, without major issues. So what we are actually in the process now are fine tuning. We are actually, a couple of years ago, people weren't really clued up on viruses. Look where we all, all are now with our understanding of viruses and the spread of and the, the microbial world around us. Um, and it's suddenly this appreciation looking down the system, and it is a microbial system. We are within the water we drink is a fantastic microbial community. It really is. It's amazing. And please do not get me wrong. These microbial communities, biofilms in these systems are essential. I do not think they would operate we would get the water quality we do without them. They are essential. And we know we want to encourage the right environment, the safe environment. And that means managing it. And we know that from all around us now. We're looking all, all the time, we look at the environment around us, and how we're impacting the environment, how we're impacting this, you know, this community, the, the ecology around us. And within these pipes, this essential resource we all rely on, we cannot do without water. It is absolutely you know, it's, it's a fundamental and we have the opportunity now to make sure that what we are getting is the best possible for the least cost for everyone. And we can do that with this monitoring. This is what it's allowing us to achieve now. And these early steps is about learning. We are still very much about learning the impact we have on it. What are these right communities? There's a huge amount of microbial research going on. What, what are in these communities? What t- different organisms? What species are there? And this will, it's, it's, all, it's, it's all feeding into us and it affecting 
and it will affect our lifestyle. It does affect our health. We can look at we can look at cases in America where they get changes where they've changed the water. It's impacted millions of people, causes huge problems. So we know these issues are out there, but through these simple steps, put in monitoring, we can actually safeguard our supply. And this is what we're aiming for. Um, so there is a difficulty with companies because there, there isn't, a, in many ways, a direct pressure to do something. Um, a lot of this is almost altruistic on part of the companies. Do they want to supply the best quality? And this is what we're trying to encourage. We want the best quality of water at the best cost. Now we can actually find out how can we actually do that. Stuart, on, on that, that's, that's an interesting point you made, and particularly bringing in the US as well. But, you know, one of the sort of altruistic views of water is that we create this national network. And, and I've often said it, and you and I have discussed this before, you know, water's unlike electricity, it's unlike gas. We've got national grids. And as long as your electricity, light, as long as your light comes on, you don't, you don't stick a voltmeter in there to check whether you're getting the right amount of current coming through. You don't, you don't put a thermal you know, measuring device on it to make sure your gas is coming through at the right pressure and everything else. But water's different, isn't it? Absolutely. And as you say, it's unique to different parts of the country. It's a little ecosystems and people, you know, if you're born in the southwest of England or you're born in Kent, you, you grow up, you're used to that water. Yep. So to try and create a, a, a unit of water that across the nation, it's actually quite a challenge. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to do, I'd suggest, wouldn't you? A, a huge challenge. And if people want to try and picture that, um, a simple way to an analogy to that one, which I would use quite easily. We are very much as human beings, we're very much the, the water where we live. So our body adapts to water where we live. We can go to other areas and we can change the water and that can have impacts on our bodies. We can, we can see certain impacts. We can go on holiday and drinking the water can create problems because it's changing the biology in our system. Our, for our, our bodies are a glorified pipe in many ways. Um, we have a, a specific um, microbiology, ecology within our own guts, our own, our own internal pipeline. We change the water, we get consequences. If we start moving water around the country, these pipes go through, they have exactly, you're changing the whole microbiology. You will get consequences. It is going to happen. However, we are now in a position where if we do it carefully and through managed approaches, we know it is possible to do, but we can't go rushing into it. These are, and I agree, the this is a huge challenge. It's a fascinating one. People talk about very, yeah, we have this national grid without appreciating the challenges that will create. If you suddenly move water from one area to another, you will create massive problems and the water, people will get water which they won't trust. And if we lose that trust in the quality of water, that is where we've got problems. It's about maintaining the trust and ensuring consumers get the best water. And, that, and that's also a very valuable point because, you know, for me, one of the big, big things for me where I get on my soapbox is that, you know, the water and the frustration for me as a water quality person is that, you know, there's a lot of focus on leakage and quite rightly so. We need to be able to demonstrate that we can deliver value for money. But if we don't have the if we don't have the consumer's confidence, if we lose the consumer's confidence in the quality of water and they move to something else, i.e. bottled water, that's it. The industry's finished. Once because people won't pay for something they don't trust. Yeah. And so we, we lose the argument straight away. Yeah. So we have to be able to, and that's why water quality, Lyle, becomes a very, very important factor because I believe that the water companies actually have a duty of care to demonstrate the water's fit for purpose. Yeah. And that's where, where, you know, the justification of bringing water quality into this complete distribution system is absolutely vital. 
water companies need to be able to demonstrate that and particularly with the new the new regulations that are coming out the customers now have got a voice if it doesn't aesthetically look right they can complain if it doesn't aesthetically or if it doesn't taste right they can complain and cost and water companies pay a heavy price for that so it's coming it's coming but it's just taking time and we're on that journey to get there yeah and we shouldn't feel as i said these systems have operated for 200 years things don't change quickly in the water industry and, and so they shouldn't we need to prove we need the evidence to show there's value and there's benefits um and the only way to collect the evidence is to get the data in the first place we need the monitors to start collecting this data to understand the value and what it can deliver. And I, I think that sort of brings it to a quite a nice close, actually. And what I would like to ask just as a, as a final point then is there's obviously a very common theme here that in order to achieve data confidence of, of water quality, there needs to be optimized monitors, instruments, sensors across a given distribution mm-hmm. network. But what do you see as the biggest challenge in order to achieve that data confidence? as we move forward from from my point of view we need more case studies we need we need, we need and, and more collaboration of the information that's that's driven by them and we're doing that we are doing that i mean stuart and i are both involved in you know in, in an organization which is not for profit it's there for water water companies to actually share the information the research they're doing amongst themselves so we can move it quicker that's the challenge it's getting the confidence of the water companies themselves that this is the right thing and the technology is available and by sh- only by sharing it and i think stuart you know really focused on this earlier on only by sharing it amongst like-minded people uh because everybody's water is different they have different challenges and they overcome them in different ways but by sharing them all out you move things quicker you move things quicker but it has to be it has to be in the best interest of the industry it can't be focused on profit Sharing the data must be something that's collectively good for everybody, morally good. I would totally agree with that. We, we need more case studies. We need the support of the companies committing to doing these properly, so making sure that you're bringing the different data together so we can then analyse it and get the optimum results out. It's not about, oh, yeah, this is good. Here we go, we'll stick monitors out. We actually need them to commit to making sure they're the right locations, the right number, and also bringing in together the other different data streams that are all there so we're in a position where we can really extract the optimum value and get the best benefits out for everyone perfect well i think that sort of brings this all to a to a close quite nicely actually um it's tied in quite well with how we, we started the podcast so <laughs> i think that's a, a really good place to end it um so that has been today's episode of talking water with ati and discussing obviously the smart steps to achieving water confidence. Stuart, thank you very much for your time. Gary, thank you very much for your time. And uh, yeah, take care, stay safe. Thank you, Lyle, thank you, Gary. Thank you.